Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. In this episode, we are sharing the audio from Consumer Voices webinar that was part of the Dignity for All Staffing Standards Now campaign. This campaign is advocating for a minimum staffing standard in nursing homes. This discussion highlighted how there is little accountability for how nursing homes spend taxpayer dollars, despite receiving tens of billions of dollars each year in Medicare and Medicaid dollars. In this episode, you will hear Consumer Voices Policy Director Sam Brooks and Attorney Ernie Tosh discuss the new report, Where Do the Billions of Dollars Go? A Look at Nursing Home-Related Party Transactions. The report takes an in-depth look at how nursing home owners and operators funnel billions of dollars through companies they own with little to no accountability for how that money is used each year. Sam and Ernie also offer examples and solutions to address this industry-wide problem to ensure public dollars are going toward resident care. To view the PowerPoint slides mentioned in this episode and to learn more about the campaign, visit theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality. Welcome to Consumer Voices Dignity for All uh, continuing campaign, which we are putting on in support of a national uh, minimum staffing standard uh, for nursing home residents. Uh, My name is Sam Brooks, and I am the Director of Public Policy for the National Consumer Voice uh, for Quality Long-Term Care. For those of you who don't know, Consumer Voice is the leading uh, national voice. We represent consumers and issues related to long-term care. We advocate for public policies that support quality of care and quality of life responsive to consumers' needs in all long-term care settings. Um, We aim to empower and educate consumers and families with the knowledge and tools they need to advocate for themselves, train and support individuals and groups that empower and advocate for consumers of long-term care, and we promote the critical role of direct care workers and best practices in the quality care, excuse me, in quality care delivery. Please go to our Dignity for All webpage. Um, This is, again, our campaign. Um, As many of you know, CMS, Centers for Medicare, well, essentially President Biden announced that they would be implementing a minimum staffing standard for nursing home residents, which um, advocates, families, um, residents themselves have called for for decades. And they promised it about this time. Uh, Last year, they said it should be out in a year, but we learned yesterday that it's being delayed. Hopefully that's not bad news, but now they're promising it sometime in spring. For the past three months, we have been conducting a campaign, again, called Dignity for All, trying to center the discussion of staffing standards, uh, not on nursing homes themselves, but on residents and workers. Um, We have uh, featured the voices of residents speaking about what it's like to live in a facility when it's short staffed, when there's inadequate staff to take care of them, um, when they have to sit for hours um, in their own own waste because there isn't a CNA to change, um, to help them change or even to get out of bed. And we also heard from workers, um, workers who have been committed to this job for 20 or 30 years, but who um, have colleagues that were using their food stamps their own food stamps to buy the snacks for diabetic residents. Um, and you can go to our website and hear those, um, uh, view those uh, webinars. Um, so we've been trying to elevate the voice. To the, the industry, both for-profit and non-profit, are out in extreme opposition to a staffing standard, and they're focusing it on um, the nursing facility, but not the residents inside. And that's what we're concerned about. And that's what this campaign has been about. Um, today, 
We're getting a little more nerdy, a little more in the weeds. We're going to be talking about finances. And we're very fortunate um, today to be joined by uh, a good friend to Consumer Voice and an extremely good friend to nursing home residents, Ernie Tosh, um, uh, who is the founding attorney of Bedsore Law and the Tosh Law Firm. Uh, many of you already know Ernie. Um, he has become a living legend in the advocacy for um, uh, nursing home residents. And we're really grateful to have him here today. And again, I've already introduced myself. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, the catalyst for this uh, webinar was a um, report that we issued um, about a week ago called Where Do the Billions of Dollars Go? A Look at Nursing Home Related Party Transactions. And for some, a related party transactions is a term that they're quite familiar with when it comes to nursing homes. Um, for others, they don't know what that means. Um, and uh, nevertheless, it's uh, something that um, advocates um, have uh, said hampers the quality of care in nursing home residents by diverting money away from care and into potentially into um, the pockets of um, nursing home owners and operators. So today we're going to go through this report, explain to you what um, related parties are. We're going to show you where they're reported to the federal government. We're going to show you how there's little to no scrutiny at all on how these um, how this money is spent. But most importantly, we're going to offer you some um, concrete solutions. I mean, um, it is not a heavy lift to address this. So. Before I turn it over to Ernie, I just want to talk a little bit about the findings from our report, and we'll put these in context in the next few slides. Uh, but our primary finding was that despite billions of dollars being funneled through related party companies each year, there appears to be little to no scrutiny by the federal government on how this money is spent. Um, in 2015, $11 billion was funneled through related party companies, and that's taxpayer dollars, that's Medicare and Medicaid dollars. Uh, and um, 70% of nursing homes, um, at least 70% of nursing homes use related parties, both for-profit and non-profit nursing homes use these related parties. Uh, nursing home owners and operators routinely, um, uh, excuse me, I, I blocked my own uh, thing, routinely pay their related parties more than the reported cost. And we'll illustrate that in the coming slides so you understand just what that means. Related parties make nursing homes look less profitable, while a closer look reveals that profits may be hidden in these transactions. What that means is related parties show up as expenses, payments that these nursing homes make to them to their owners show up as expenses when they in fact could be profits. But what that allows them to do is say, we don't have money. Medicaid is not enough. You got to give us more money. We can't um, provide us. We can't provide sufficient care because there's no money. Um, and that is orchestrated that way. And we'll show you just how they do it. And cost reports do not capture enough information for CMS to fulfill its regulatory obligation of ensuring taxpayer dollars are spent on care. And that sounds kind of nerdy. But what we're saying is CMS just doesn't tell it. First of all, it doesn't look at a lot of this information, but it doesn't collect enough information. And we're going to go through now and talk about why that's so important. So um, I'm going to bring in Ernie. Ernie um, has, um, well, let me just introduce you for a second, Ernie. Ernie, um, we met, we came aware of Ernie uh, a couple of years ago um, during a congressional hearing. He was testifying during the pandemic, particularly on private equity, uh, but talking about the finances. And we said, we have to, we have to get to know Ernie. We, we need to know who Ernie is. Um, so we reached out to him and we've collaborated on a variety of things over, over the years. 
Um, and one of the things that brought us, I think, to this report was um, during the pandemic, um, the state of New York passed uh, uh, a law requiring a certain amount of money um, from each dollar, each Medicaid, uh, each Medicaid dollar to go towards uh, resident care, uh, meaning 70% had to go to care and 40% of that had to go to direct care. And uh, the nursing home industry, the for-profit industry filed this really great law, great for us, um, that pled that if under this law, they would have to return $900 million in profit to um, the state. And I said, hey, we should look at the numbers that they're pleading in these uh, in, in this lawsuit and compare it to the numbers that they're reporting to uh, the federal government. So I contacted Ernie and I said, Ernie, pull the cost reports for the for these homes and let's see if the numbers match up. And of course they didn't. Um, sometimes there was wild discrepancies, but it was clear that the information they were reporting to CMS was much different than the information they were pleading in their, their case. But what got me to the related parties um, was Ernie said, well, look at this column. And um, I looked over and there was just extremely wild numbers um, being reported by these facilities for related parties. And I said, this is the real story. So that's where how we came to know Ernie. We've become um, really close allies and we really appreciate all his effort, efforts. Um, Ernie, I want to turn it over to you now. Thanks. Thanks, man. So <clears throat> first off, uh, Sam did not introduce me correctly. Uh, he sent me an email this morning asking me, hey, how do you want to be introduced? And I told him, I want to be introduced as the wee baby Seamus. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. So anyway, <laughs> uh, nursing home finances, uh, you know, I, I, that, that sounds really nerdy. I agree with Sam. Uh, when I got into working on this stuff, uh, it was pretty nerdy. But I love data. And as such, um, I was drawn to the cost reports and then the stories that the cost reports actually tell us. And so uh, I want to talk about how most nursing home chains are structured. Um, in this slide, you can see you have nursing home one and nursing home two, which would be, of course, visible to the public. And then behind them, you've got you know, a real estate holding company. You've got a management company. You could have a therapy company. You could have a pharmacy. And all of those companies are owned by a single owner. So on this slide, Tosh Senior Care is the parent company of all the companies below it. It owns all of them. And as such, all of those companies below the parent are called sibling companies. Or if you do business with each other, you're related parties. And those transactions are called related party transactions. Now, there's a formal definition within uh, the CMS uh, guidelines that talks about common ownership or control. Uh, in the thousands and thousands of nursing home cost reports that I've looked at, I've never seen a related party identified through control, meaning that instead of the parent company owning all the companies, it somehow controls one of the related parties. Um, I've not ever seen that. It's always been common ownership. Uh, the parent company owns the therapy company and the therapy company provides services to the nursing home. So <clears throat> we're gonna talk about how this structure manipulates the cost reports and changes 
the public statements and public perception of the nursing home industry. So where is this information reported? Okay, related party transactions like Sam talked about uh, are reported on the annual cost report that CMS requires each nursing home to submit each year. It is formally called CMS Form 2540-10. And like I said, every nursing home in the country that receives Medicare or Medicaid money must file this cost report. And it is filed with a certification on the front page that says this information is true and accurate and it is signed by somebody usually very high up in the company, the president, the CFO, the CEO. Uh, it is not signed by the facility administrator. It is somebody much higher in the chain. This is what a related party transaction sheet looks like. This is from CMS Form 2540-10. It is worksheet number A. Eight, one. If you look in, up here in the upper right-hand corner, that's where it's identified. And basically what it's laying out here is what expense category does this transaction relate to? We can see that the first one is what's called capital-related costs, buildings and fixtures. Basically, that's rent. We can see that it's the facility lease. We can see in column four, this is where they identify what is the underlying cost of making this building available to the nursing home. So the leasing company is saying it costs us $364,540 to make this building available for lease to the nursing home. Then in column five, we see the nursing home is paying the leasing company, $522,000 in rent. So in column six, like it says up here, the math is just column four minus column five. This is a $157,000 overpayment to the leasing company. So what that does is it's, it's allowing the leasing company to, to have a profit on their books and the $522,000 is an expense to the nursing home. So- And who owns, and Ernie, Ernie yes. who, own, who owns the leasing company? Well, the leasing company, if it is on A81, is going to be owned by the parent company that owns the nursing home. These are related sibling companies. And what we see here is that, you know, there's nine um, transactions that are shown here. Um, this, information, there's actually more information than this. At, at first, we, we couldn't figure out how come this bottom number here of these columns, the totals did not add up. If you add up this column, it does not equal two and a half million dollars. What we found in the data, because I have CMS's database, and I'm gonna talk about that in a few minutes, but I have their database. And so we went into the database and looked and found that they were actually collecting up to 24 transactions. It's just that their software and their template was only displaying nine of them and then it would total them up. So we were able to expand and see all the related party transactions 
up through 24 and, and figure out what these totals were for. Now on this page, what we can see is this particular facility, which is a Pruitt facility, um, they overpaid the related parties by $449,000, which means that $449,000 of profit was realized by the related parties. And this facility showed a $2.99 million expense on their income statement. And I'll show you in a second how that works. Uh, but I just wanted to give you the background of where the data is and what is collected by CMS. Uh, I will also tell you CMS doesn't audit this. CMS never looks at this. And the way I know that CMS never looks at this is because I've seen cost reports that were filed that only had the provider name, number, and the year that it was for. It was signed by a high-ranking official as being accurate, and there was nothing else displayed in the entire cost report. And that had been sitting in CMS's database for years. So I know they're not auditing this stuff. So uh, with that, um, Sam, I thank you. Uh, oh yeah, so, so thanks, Ernie. So uh, back, back to this sheet here, what really shocked us is, uh, to make clear to folks, all of these payments are nursing facilities, uh, are facilities making payments to owners that own the nursing facility. So this is all self-dealing. Um, these amounts in this column here, this 2.5 million, this cost was to companies owned by the same people who own the nursing home. And then these payments were paid. And that's what a related party transaction is. It's when you're doing business with your own nursing home and charging its, uh, its funds. Um, so these crazy numbers that we found made me really want to look at, um, uh, look at this issue um, in, in a broader sense. So I pulled some numbers from our report just to show you um, uh, what the numbers look like. Um, so, for instance, we, we, we ran some from Pruitt Health, um, who owns uh, nursing homes, a variety of nursing homes in the South. And um, uh, these are the numbers for um, Pruitt Healthcare, um, um, which, are, which are pretty shocking. So we looked at the, the, the cost reports from 2018 to 2020, and Ernie was able to aggregate, to put all the costs from the, each nursing home in that chain. Um, into uh, uh, one sheet, into one uh, database. And so if you look here, in, in that year, um, in the three-year period, um, Pruitt um, uh, reported costs to related parties of about $480 million, and, um, but paid those related parties $570 million, which is um, an excess payment of 18%. And remember, these are all payments to, um, these are all Medicare and Medicaid dollars being paid to companies that um, uh, the nursing home owner owns and operates. Um, just to illustrate some of what these costs are, home office costs are very, very common. You know, the idea that the home office office offers some kind of management, um, what that is, is not clear. Um, but they're one of the most common next to rent and lease um, uh, uh, costs, uh, one of the most common related party expense. So for the year, those three years, um, Pruitt uh, reported $69.6 million in um, 
costs, home office costs. It cost them $69 million to provide whatever services it was to that nursing home, but to their nursing homes. But yet they paid them $123, $124 million almost. That's a 78% excess payment. And what's important here, at the same time, care and Pruitt facilities is not good. CMS's five-star rating system, which isn't perfect, we know, but is really the only one of the only real gauges out there, shows that overall, Pruitt Homes out of five stars really perform poorly. 2.82, 2.6, 2 2.82 overall five-star ratings, 2.63 on health inspection ratings, and um, 2.62 on staffing ratings. And overall, we did we looked at the staffing data for for that period of time. And they own, on average, um, Pruitt, um, residents in Pruitt Homes only receive 3.3 hours per resident day of direct care, um, which is 40 minutes less than um, a well-accepted standard of 4.1 hours per resident day. So it's not hard to connect this with, uh, excuse me, this by saying that the payments with the uh the uh, staffing. And just to illustrate more, we'll go on next. We also focused on life care centers and their numbers are even more extraordinary. Um, for the three-year period of uh, uh, from 2018 to 2020, um, these are the numbers for life care centers, total related party payments, $1.1 billion in costs reported, $1.25 billion in payments. That's $140 million in excess payments or a 12.5% um, uh, excess payment to them. For them, lease payments. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna um, buy a nursing home, then I'm gonna sell it to a company I own and I'm gonna charge it rent. Um, and if you look here, that was very lucrative for related parties. $64 million in costs to provide those facilities. So they reported that it cost them $64 million to provide those facilities to life care, while at the same time, they paid them 92 million. That's a 44% almost um, uh, uh, excess payment. Same thing for home office costs. These are even, one year they reported 12.2 million and paid 23 million, and that's a 90% excess payment. So what this led us to believe is nobody can be looking at this because this is intolerable. Where is this money going? And um, it, 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 it's intolerable to think that this is all sitting there and, and no one is uh, looking at it. So that's putting our report in context. Let's, Ernie, let's talk, I'm gonna turn it back to you to talk about where this data come from comes from and talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. So uh, I was looking at the, the Q&A and chat channel while Sam was talking. Yes, this data is publicly available. Um, you get this through a Freedom of Information Act request or a what we call a FOIA request to CMS. Uh, it basically looks uh, like this. This is one that I sent out for a facility uh, recently because I wanted the hard copy because um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I have CMS's database. Um, the way you get CMS's database is there is a link on CMS's website that allows you to download the entire cost report database. Problem is it is humongous, as you can imagine, because it has every cost report that's ever been filed in the history of cost reports, which dates back to 1994. So 16,000 cost reports per year, all the way back to 1994, cannot be opened with any regular software. 
just it's way too large. So what you have to do is you have to get the data scheme uh, for CMS's database, and you have to build an Oracle or Microsoft SQL uh, database and import that giant file into a database, and then you can have access and use it. So that's what I did. And then we updated every 90 days when CMS updates their database, we go in right behind them and we update ours. So ours mirrors them at all times. Um, so, so Ernie, really quick, um, how, how much would someone need to probably be ready to be invest um, to, to create a system that can access these cost reports that are supposed to be public? Uh, probably uh, in time and money, we probably invested $100,000 to do that. Um, but the alternative is sending a FOIA request for every cost report you would need uh, to do any type of analysis. And if you're doing large scale analysis like, like we do, um, you, I mean, and it just becomes way, way, way too cumbersome. And that's why we went ahead and went to the expense of building the database uh, so that we could do large scale research without having to do this ridiculous system of going to CMS for every single cost report. Um, but they are publicly available. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, their template on um, related parties may not show all the related party transactions. That's where having a database revealed to us that there was more data behind shown in the template. Um, so from there, um, you know, we, we talk about, oh, the, the, the payments are, are too high. You know, it was $350,000 in cost to make that building available to, to uh, the nursing home and the nursing home paid 522,000 for it. You know, why, why did they do that? And, and why is that unreasonable? Well, CMS, to its credit, defines within the related party regulations that the transactions have to be done as a reasonably prudent buyer would do them. So specifically states, such costs must not exceed the amount a prudent and cost conscious buyer would pay for comparable services, facilities, or supplies that could be purchased elsewhere. So that is a great definition. And CMS actually gives examples and talks about purchasing uh, using, um, you know, the power of being a large corporation, purchasing in volume. I mean, it goes into great detail about what this means. The problem is CMS did nothing beyond define this stuff and just left it to the industry to police themselves because nobody knows what's behind those cost numbers that are reported in column four of worksheet A81 that we looked at before. That cost number can be any number that they choose to put there because nobody looks at that number. Nobody looks behind that number. Nobody knows what the market value is for pharmaceutical products in Des Moines, Iowa. And so they can execute that contract at any value 
and nobody is looking at that. Uh, to, to detour very briefly, I was deposing um, a CEO of a chain uh, two weeks ago, and I was talking to him about reasonably prudent transactions within the related party context and was asking him, before you executed the management agreement that gives you a 7% of gross revenue, 7% of gross revenue plus expenses, what did you do to determine that that was market rate? Nothing. What about your, with your therapy services? What did you do to compare and, and see if you were at market rate? I don't know. Did anybody do a market analysis? I don't think so. If that market analysis was done, would there be a report that exists somewhere? I doubt it. I mean, basically what he was telling me was the contract, which basically was executed on one side by one owner. So for the facility, one owner signed it. And for the related party, another owner signed it. Um, they just set the number at whatever they wanted. It wasn't reasonably prudent. Well, how do we know that? Because they made a 427% profit on their management company. Um, no reasonably prudent buyer would agree to that. So um, it, it, this is a great definition. In practice, CMS is not monitoring any of this. Now, the reason this becomes important and one of the reasons that Sam and I got so involved in this area, besides that we're total nerds, is that you can manipulate the income statement. And this is what they're doing. This is a facility, let's say, that owns their own building, okay? And they have, they, they tell us on their uh, cost report, $16 million in total patient revenue, which is really billing. They had some uncollectibles. And so the actual amount of money that hit their bank account was 14 and a quarter million dollars. Then they had 13 million in expenses, which left them a profit of 1.25 million. This is a problem. It's a problem if your nursing home shows a profit on its income statement for two reasons. One, makes you a better target for litigation because plaintiff's attorneys go, oh, look, they're making money. You know, we're going to be able to collect a judgment. Secondly, is that they can't go crying to the legislators that they need more money if they're making tons of money. So they have to change this. This is how they do it. Go in and they manipulate the expense number using a related party. So remember, related party, nursing home number one, is now doing business with a real estate holding company. Before nursing home number one owned the nursing home property. Now they spun it off to the real estate holding company and are leasing it back. Okay, so this is how it looks. That's our original. And now when it was owned by the nursing home, they paid about $600,000 of their annual expenses was towards the mortgage payment and the taxes. But now they spun it off to the real estate holding company and they're now gonna pay $2 million in rent, okay? What that does is it creates 
a $1.4 million siphon. That's the difference between the $2 million payment that they're making now and the 600 that they paid before. They've increased their expenses by $1.4 million, and that money's going to go to the real estate company. So what you've got is the original income statements. Now, the manipulated income statement because they're now paying the real estate holding company $2 million. Well, that increased their expenses by that $1.4 million difference. And now look, they're now losing $150,000. Now, a plaintiff's attorney who doesn't understand cost reports is gonna look at this and go, oh man, I guess we you know, have to go look at their insurance and figure out if they have any. And if they do, we're gonna be limited to that because this facility doesn't have any money. Bigger than that though, is they now get to waive this income statement around and say, oh, let's all cry together. We need more money from the federal government. We need more money from Medicaid and the state governments because we're about to go bankrupt. We're gonna close these facilities if we don't get more money. And for 30 years, our legislators have fallen for this tactic. Is there's no transparency in the financial dealings of these companies. There's hidden money and horrible outcomes. This is our structure, right? Related parties, all owned by the same parents. A CMS cost report, the 2540-10, is for a single facility. It's for nursing home number one. It files its cost report. It manipulates its income statement to make it look like it's losing money. Nursing home number two does exactly the same thing. The problem is we don't have any cost reporting for the real estate holding company. We don't have any cost reporting for the management company. We don't have any cost reporting for the parent company. We have no idea how profitable these companies actually are because the only thing that they're required to do is file a CMS cost report, which is and it's highly manipulated. As Sam was talking about, we talk about related parties and, and do they actually affect staffing? Well, let's talk about what related parties do for the facility. First off, it protects their assets and shell corporations. You move all your hard assets, your big assets, your real estate, your, your, your building, into related parties, which are then impossible to break into in litigation. So you've, you've sheltered your largest assets and you move all of your money into related parties. So that trying to get to any sizable amount of money or any asset um, is almost impossible. Then you siphon money so they don't show a profit. We already talked about that. And then we have to ask, why would a facility understaff anyway? I mean, besides financing, you know, is there any reason you would understaff? Well, of course not. 
only understaffed if there was some profit motive involved. And so when we go and go back and say, okay, how does this affect staffing? Well, protecting assets in shell corporations limits the risk to the operators. You're now taking away the risk of losing sizable assets in litigation. So they no longer fear litigation. Litigation is now a cost of doing business because they've sheltered all their assets so that it's you know pennies on the dollar in these settlements because if you sue the facility and you get a $10 million judgment, it has no assets. So they're just going to collapse that entity, declare it bankrupt. My $10 million judgment becomes worthless. And then they reopen the facility under basically a very similar name the next day. Boom. Why should they staff properly? There's not a physical monetary reason for them to fear um, repercussions. Litigation is a cost of doing business. And CMS and state fines are a joke. If you even got fined uh, for it, it's, I mean, oversight is a whole nother problem. Secondly, siphoning money so they don't show profits. Yeah, this is a great excuse to cut staffing. This is exactly what this, the industry has done for 30 years. It's held up those manipulated financial statements and said, look, we have no money. We couldn't staff better if we wanted to. And boy, do we want to. But we just don't have the money. It's a lie. The money's hidden in related parties. And by hiding the money in related parties, they can now face legislators and the public and say they don't have money and say they can't staff better. But somehow these nursing home owners are becoming billionaires. You don't become billionaires by losing money on all your investments. And why understaffs to begin with? Because it increased its profits. It's the single largest cost, the single largest expense in a nursing home. So if you can cut your staffing cost, you will commensurately increase your profitability. Thanks, Ernie. Um, and I just want to say, Ernie has a way of explaining things um, that, I mean, these are really complex issues, and uh, but he has a way of explaining them like no one I've um, ever met. So um, in our report, where we feature him talking about um, a variety of issues, but we bring you right through the, the data available to do this type of analysis. We walk you through the cost report, show you, show you where this information occurs, and we also do more on related parties. And there's other videos too with Ernie talking about how short staffing is so lucrative um, to nursing homes, um, how just small reductions in staffing can mean millions um, to nursing homes chains um, over a period of time. Uh, so I wanna talk a little bit, Ernie and I, we like to play with data. Um, we need to get lives outside of out of data, but um, um, I, <laughs> We, we were talking about, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about private equity um, in, uh, in healthcare uh, and in nursing homes. Um, private equity are these investment companies that seek short-term profits. Um, they can be publicly or privately traded, but the idea is um, they take money from investors, they go seek investments, 
And uh, they try to suck as much money out of them as they possibly could in a short period of time. Um, uh, this is a lot of um, the attention brought to nursing home finances and nursing home quality of care uh, tends to fo focus on private equity, unfortunately, when really, um, I mean, they do make up a sizable amount. 11% of nursing homes are owned by private equity, according to um, CMS. Um, but um, the issues we're talking about today are common, not just to private equity, they're common to nonprofit homes and they're common to um, for-profit homes. Um, so Ernie and I, we, we got talking because um, the issue with private equity is that there's demonstrable bad care. I mean, they're not even trying to pretend um, that they're in it for the health of residents. Um, over the past few years, there's been ample evidence showing how uh, residents that reside in private equity owned homes receive poor care. Um, one research showed that just residing, one study, excuse me, showed that just residing in a nursing home owned by private equity increased mortality by 10%. And Medicare residents. And in a recent proposed rule, CMS itself um, evidence that care cites evidence of care of private poor quality of care in private equity, um, and um, is taking some minimal action to, to to at least identify these players. But it's important. I don't want you to take away from this presentation that this is a private equity problem. It's not. This pri private equity smelled blood in the water. This problem preceded private equity. And like sharks, they came in and, and they are um, doing what the, and taking advantage of a system created both by the nursing home industry, but also by CMS um, to, to take these profits. So Ernie and I started talking about this Porta Piccolo group. Porta Piccolo is, is infamous, famous, um, uh, uh, if you Google Porter Piccolo Nursing Home, you'll get a, a, a litany of stories from a variety of um, uh, publications, including The New Yorker, um, uh, Washington Post, I think um, Barron's or Forbes did a story on them. Um, they're primarily two folks that live, I believe, in Brooklyn. Um, in 2015, when they created Porter Piccolo, this private e equity investment group, they were 25 and 32 years old. Um, they had no experience operating nursing homes, um, and um, they s quickly um, weaseled their way into the world of nursing homes. And they've become kind of the poster child for private equity and um, care declines. I encourage you to read the New Yorker story. If you Google Porta Pickle, you will see evidence of how um, bad the care is. Um, and we're talking about literally the, the month after Porta Piccolo purchases a home, care can decline. But nevertheless, CMS allows them to purchase homes despite um, story after story of horrible care. Um, so we were talking about it and we were thinking about Tennessee for some reason. I said, let's go see if there's any Porta Piccolo homes in Tennessee. And when you know, and again, there's one caveat with all of this. It's impossible to ascertain, some, sometimes it's impossible to ascertain who owns a nursing home. Um, Ernie will admit that the nursing home uh, ownership is so opaque um, and so nebulous that it's, it's sometimes it's, a, it's almost impossible to find out who owns a nursing home. Uh, the report that we did, that Ernie and I did, looked, focused on one chain, Brias, and we've been, someone's reached out to us and said, you didn't get all the Brias homes. Um, and that's because these, the ownership is so hidden um, that CMS itself admits they don't know who owns some nursing homes. But we were able to identify at least 12 um, nursing homes in Tennessee. And these were all purchased in the past four or five years um, by the private equity investment group. 
So I said, let's pull the cost reports and, and look at what it's like, what related party transactions are like in um, these homes before and after. So again, here's um, uh, worksheet A81. Um, again, we have um, uh, this is what the, this is what was reported in 2018 uh, before Porta Piccolo was owned. And if you look here, there's one there's one charge. It's a management fee. Again, this is very common. It's like a home office cost, and a related party charged this home. $444,000 um, in related party costs. Um, so this is the year before. And remember, column all of this is money that's paid to a company owned by the same people who own the nursing home. I can't tell you that enough. Um, this is a 2020 after being purchased by Porter Piccolo. Notice anything different? Did, they don't even fit on the page. Instead of $444,000, we have $5.5 million in related party transactions. That's two, and they overpaid their related parties by 200, almost $250,000. So let's look at this side by side. Um, uh, before 2018, before Porta Piccolo and after, that's an increase of 11, a factor of 11. And this is one home. They charged this a home that was previously charged four hundred and forty four thousand dollars for uh, 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 management. Now is charged eight hundred and thirty four thousand. Well, the cost was seven hundred, but they were paid eight hundred and thirty four thousand. They must have done a real good job. And this is one home. This is one home in um, Tennessee. There's twelve others. So, and these numbers are similar for all of the other homes. So millions, millions of dollars are being sucked out of Tennessee, out of um, not only for care of residents, but out of um, uh, the hands of workers, out of communities. And CMS has no idea where it's going. CMS has, CMS has, has no idea how, where this 700, excuse me, where this $834,000 went. There's no way to tell from this form what was, what was received for this service. If you look down here, physical therapy, it, they report $552,000 in costs and um, make $593,000 in payments. But how are you able to ascertain if this cost is reasonable? There's nothing on this sheet. There's nothing on this form that provides CMS enough information to say this is reasonable. This is what you would have paid if you weren't paying a company that you actually own. Um, and that's Ernie. This is like a before and after. That's what Ernie calls it. And if Ernie sits on these troves, this trove of data and every once in a while he shows me something, I'm like, why haven't you shown me this before? But I, I also want to show you one other thing that's most important. This money isn't going towards care. This 12, 12, 11 factor increase um, in uh, related party transactions didn't result in better care. In fact, if you look at the staffing for these homes for that period of time, before it was owned, it wasn't staffed at a great amount, about 3.51. It dropped almost a half an hour in staffing, almost immediately. Residents stopped receiving about 25 minutes less, 20 minutes less of care. And this is not attributable to the pandemic. Strangely enough, if you look generally across the country, staffing went up in the pandemic. It, and and that's in part due to be to, to so many residents dying um, and facilities having to finally staff their facilities because families weren't there. But this is a huge drop in care. 
So um, this isn't this money isn't a, a huge investment. It would be different if we saw this sh shooting up, right? And we saw these unbelievable health outcomes and staffing outcomes. But that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing money going out, and we're seeing care drop. So let's go back, Ernie, and talk about some solutions and what we can do here. Sure. Uh, by the way, I've, I've kind of been looking at the, the chat and questions again. Love the comments. Um, I get super fired up and passionate about this stuff. Um, I can see in the comments that a lot of other people are too. And, you know, the, you're asking, you know, what can we do now that we have a better understanding of this? What can a regular resident do? Well, the answer is get hold of your legislators, get hold of your ombudsman, give them support, make your voice heard so that we can get legislative changes on this, okay? And Sam and I are, are working on a project to go basically evangelize uh, around the country. Uh, I've already spoken uh, in many states on this subject to ombudsman's programs and advocacy programs. Uh, I'm going next week to um, Colorado and I'm going to uh, Oklahoma in June. Um, New Jersey uh, has got introduced legislation uh, that we're about to talk about. California passed it. I believe Pennsylvania is working on it. The idea is we have to get state legislation on this problem because we cannot depend on CMS. We can see that CMS is completely ineffective in handling this problem. And for us, after 30 years, to be waiting to fix this problem, yeah, it would be great if they did. But my point to everyone I talk to these days is in your state, you're responsible for your elderly. You need to take care of them and you need to take care of this problem. So the big question is poor care due to under, underfunding or under reimbursement, or is poor care due to underutilization of the funds that are already being paid? That's the big question. We keep pumping money into the nursing home sector. I read this week, another billion dollar plus payment increase is coming in, in 18 months. Why are we throwing more money into this industry when we don't know how much money they actually profit? We just keep throwing money at the problem and all we're doing is making billionaires. So the answer to that question, are we underfunded or underutilized, is we need consolidated financial reports from the parent company to the very bottom of the corporate structure. So in our picture that we've been talking about today, we wanna to know what are the consolidated financial statements from Tosh, you know, senior care, all the way through to the bottom of the facilities. Not just facility cost reports, basically a cost report for the entire company. That way we capture the transactions with the related parties and the profitability becomes evident when you consolidate all of that into a single cost report at the parent company level. Also, we also need them to, to look at the reports, right? Um, yeah. we, someone other than you to, to, to look at 
these cost reports. Exactly. And auditing is easy. I've actually had a conversation with some fairly high CMS people about doing electronic auditing on these cost reports and how you would set that up. And it's not difficult. You could do base level auditing as they're being filed and kick the ones out that don't meet you know, a base level audit. And then if you did random sampling auditing after that, uh, you would probably be much better on top of the problem. Uh, right now, they're not on top of anything. Um, the second thing we need is better disclosure of ownership. And what we would be looking for there is ownership disclosure all the way back to individuals. Okay, one thing that people sometimes don't realize is that if you commit fraud in the Medicare and Medicaid sector and you're found guilty of committing that fraud, you're banned from participating in Medicare and Medicaid for a decade. Well, you can get around that ban by going and investing in a private equity company that now goes back into the nursing home industry. So you can hide behind the PE shield in the PE, it's called a PE pool, um, and, and not be seen. And what we're saying is we want to see all the individual owners. Uh, if you're in, in that investment pool, your name gets put on the list. And that way we can see who actually owns these, these facilities. Um, it's not difficult. It's not difficult. I mean, they're getting paid billions of dollars. It's not difficult to give us a little extra information. Um, the next step after getting you know, consolidated cost reports and ownership, because now you're going to be able to see all the profit that is being realized at the chain level. You're going to be able to see, is this a reimbursement problem or is this a utilization problem? Well, then you get a federal minimum staffing requirement, you know, and I, now, right now, what do you hear every day from the industry? Oh, that's an unfunded mandate. That's their big thing, unfunded mandate. We will need additional federal and state money if you pass a federal minimum staffing because we don't have the money to pay it. Well, what they're doing is they're showing you those manipulated cost reports when they say that. We know they have the money. We know where it is. It's in the related parties. Okay, It's not an unfunded mandate. But the only way we can know that is if we get consolidated financial statements. And then we will know for sure if this is an unfunded mandate or is it underutilization. So we just need consolidated financial statements to make that determination. We need a legitimate minimum federal staffing guideline, which would be 4.1 hours or greater. And we would need CMS to actually look at the data they're collecting and do a reasonable audit that it's reported correctly. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, I mean, this information is not um, uh, something that they would have to create. They know down to the penny um, where money is going and how it's being siphoned. Um, and frankly, in our report, again, uh, we make a variety of suggestions in our report. 
CMS in its regulatory um, documents say, um, you have to make your books open to us. You have to show us your books and, and where explain to us where you got these costs. But it's just clear they're not. Um, so uh, I, I want to thank Ernie for being here. We want to talk. I mean, people are right right to be upset. Um, uh, you know, we're looking here at billions of dollars. Remember, these are Medicare and Medicaid dollars. These are taxpayer dollars. They're not, um, uh, you know, private pay. We're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars that are just going unaccounted for. And um, we uh, really encourage you to read the report, which gets into detail, but also offers concrete steps about what we can do. But Ernie, thanks for being with us today. I just want to talk about Absolutely. where I, I want to, before, if, if we can get to some questions, we will. Um, but I want to give you guys some, some opportunities here to do some advocacy yourself. Uh, please go to our Dignity for All webpage. You can see this. Um, uh, you'll be able to see this webinar after we post the recording, but all the webinars, please go see and talk to um, see residents and uh, workers talk about what it's like to, to live and work in um, uh, understaffed homes. Uh, importantly, people have said, what can we do? We need your support. Go to this link on our website. It's on our Dignity for All website. We've created a template to, for you to email your Congress members and say, support staffing standards and transparency. It's a David versus Goliath battle right now. Um, the industry has millions and millions of dollars that they're pumping into ads. They run ads on Hulu. Um, it's a David versus Goliath battle. And they're, they're going to their Congress members with these, these doctor cost reports and saying the sky is falling. They need to hear from families and residents and advocates that we, we support minimum staffing standards for residents and they must increase transparency. So you can go to that link on our web, uh, on, on the, uh, we shared the slides, the link right there. And just put your name, your first name and your address in and it will, it will automatically send it to your Congress members. We, we need to have your voices heard. This is coming. And um, this is an opportunity here that um, it's a generational opportunity to protect residents. And we, we really would like you to do that. Um, and this is our connection information. I, I think we have we have three minutes. Um, Laurie, I didn't know if there was a, uh, Laurie Spataka, our executive director has been monitoring some questions. I imagine some of them are um, uh, very similar. I don't know if you wanted to try to get to one, one or two before we wind up. Yeah, I think there's, you know, thanks so much to all of you for um, being so active in the questions in the chat. Um, we're going to continue to be working on this issue and sharing more information. I think, you know, one of the questions that people had is, um, how widespread is this? I mean, we, in the report, we looked at three different corporations. You talked about a fourth one today, but, you know, how how many companies use these related party transactions? And so how widespread is it? Almost all of them. Um, if it's a for-profit facility, which the vast majority are these days, uh, they almost assuredly are using related party transactions, particularly in uh, using management companies and uh, real estate holding companies to lease the property back. Those are the top two that you see almost everywhere. Uh, the problem within the nonprofit sector is that some of the nonprofits um, do not show related party transactions, but it's because the uh, companies they're doing business with are owned by the trustees of the, it's not owned by the charity, so it's technically not a related party, 
And so what they're doing is they're sucking all the money out of the nursing home to the trustees under the banner of being a nonprofit. And we can't see those related party transactions. So uh, I'm, I'm very leery of nonprofits within this sector too. It's it, this sector, uh, somebody in the comments I saw said, you know, it sounds like the mobs involved. The fact is I'm an ex-prosecutor. And when I first looked at a cost report, a friend of mine invited me to lunch, was like, nobody in our firm can read this cost report. Can you tell us what it says? And when I opened it up and started looking at it, the first thing that I thought was, this is a money laundering operation. This looks just like how a drug cartel moves its money. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it does look shady uh, because it is shady. Is it illegal? No, it is perfectly legal. Um, but they are doing it to hide their profitability. Thanks, Ernie. It's, it's the top of the hour. I just want to say that the official number is 70% of nursing homes use that. But as Ernie said, um, there's certain ways to disguise them. So that number is probably higher. Um, some, of course, are, uh, as our illustration showed today, some use them more prolifically than others. Why we chose these three, um, it was just a random choice. Um, we, uh, I think um, similar numbers would show for another other random three chains. So um, I want to thank everyone for being here. Please go to our website, um, consumervoice.org, and go, um, go to the um, uh, our Dignity for All web page. You can share there what what it, what staffing means to you. You can contact your Congress member and say, hey, this is intolerable, protect nursing home residents. Because remember, at the end of the day, this is stealing money from residents and workers, and we have to stand with them um, in order to protect our most vulnerable citizens. Um, stay tuned uh, with us. We're gonna be offering more events and stay tuned for uh, when the minimum staffing standard is announced. We will be here to support you um, in uh, your efforts to um, comment about any proposed regulation. So thank you. And thank you again, Ernie, we appreciate you. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. This podcast is a program of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information and resources. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you.